This morning we're going to continue our series, um, Good News for All People, and we're going to be looking at um, probably one of my favorite texts of the Advent season, and I, I run into this issue kind of like every Christmas, right, because when you're planning a, a Christmas series, <clears throat> there's a temptation to preach the same things over and over and over and over again. Um, and this is kind of one of those passages that does that for me, um, because I, I don't want to not do this one. Um, but the thing about good news, and I mentioned this earlier, that um, being the third week of Advent, the pink candle, it's the candle of joy. And it just fits right in line with where we're going to be today. Um, but typically, good news brings joy, right? I mean, it would be kind of odd if good news did not bring joy, um, if good news did not bring happiness. But good news does brings happiness. And with good news is also this desire to share good news, um, to tell that good news. So think about it. We're, what, a week and a few days away from Christmas, Day and Christmas Day, kids, grandkids will open presents and they will be so anxious to tell everyone what they got. You know, um, they can't contain that excitement. Another example of that, um, and this is an example I like to use a lot, um, and it's kind of fitting here because. Um, We've had a lot of babies born in this church. I mean, not physically in the church, but you know, know what I'm saying. Um, birth announcements. You know, birth announcements are some of the most exciting things. Um, just that eagerness to share that news. It's probably one of the things that is the hardest to conceal, right? Um, it's one of the hardest secrets to keep. I always want to share that good news. And over the last two weeks, we have looked at good news in different forms, right? We saw the need for good news in Genesis 3 at the fall. Um, Adam and Eve gives in to the temptation of the serpent, and they eat of the fruit, and sin enters into the world. And then last week, we saw the promise of good news in Isaiah chapter 9, that in the midst of darkness, light would come. Uh, the nation of Israel was in a very dark place. Um, they had turned to other gods, um, other sources of hope, and they were under attack from the Assyrian army, and at the point that they thought that they were going to be wiped out, God gives a promise that light would come. Today... We're going to move from the need of good news to the promise of good news to the actual receiving the gift of good news. And the main idea is this, that the good news of Jesus is a gracious gift and worthy of praise. So if you will, let's stand. And I'm going to read Luke 2, 1 through 21, and we will work through these verses together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would just be with us this morning as we study your word together. Father, as we read this so familiar passage, just let us not take for granted the message of good news, the message of hope. Father, we know that you know each and every one of us who are gathered here today. You know our hearts, you know our lives, you know our situations. And we also know that your word can meet every area of need. So we come trusting, Father, that as we read your word and as we study your word together, that it will not return void, that it will move into the deepest parts of our souls, that our lives will be forever changed. We also trust that your spirit will speak. He will speak the words that each of us need to hear. That we will become more and more like Jesus. And we also know, Father, that 
there may be some here who have never trusted in this good news that Jesus and Jesus alone saves. So our prayer, our hope is that they would come to trust you this morning. We know that in this culture of easy believe Christianity that many of us probably, most of us even probably grew up in church and it's easy to assume that we're yours. But help us to truly reflect on your word and the promises and the truth in it so that we can carefully analyze our hearts to make sure we are truly sons and daughters of God. May your word speak deeply to us this morning. And may our lives reflect the glories of who you are. In Jesus' most glorious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As we begin to dig into um, Luke chapter 2, the very first point that we come to is that good news is born. Verses 1 and 2 again, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. The first thing we need to understand is something that we're not unfamiliar with, or at least unfamiliar with hearing here, that God truly is sovereign over all things. In this case, the government, um, Caesar Augustus, issues this decree that all the world, and that is the known world to them, should be registered, that they should take <coughs> excuse me, um, a census of their people. Now, even in Caesar Augustus making this decree and the government issuing this decree, it was all part of God's plan. All of the things that happen work together according to God's great plan. We also know that in many cases, God uses ungodly people to accomplish His purposes. In this case, He used Caesar Augustus. Now, um, according to history, Caesar Augustus was actually a pretty good emperor. Um, he treated people very well. He was very good in contrast to Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a very wicked man. But we also know this, that even though Caesar Augustus was a good man, he was not a godly man. He was not a believer in the Israeli, the Jewish God. But he was good, and God used him to accomplish his purposes. We also know in other times in Scripture and throughout history that God uses ungodly and wicked people to accomplish His purposes. God used Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, God used Pontius Pilate. People who were not godly, but they were used to fulfill the plans and purposes of God. Recently, I had a discussion with someone about this, and um, he was just anxious about things that were happening within the Southern Baptist Convention, and I, and I simply told him, like, listen, it never was perfect, it never will be perfect, and there have been men who were not probably the best to be leading that have led, and here we are, you know, the largest denomination in the world doing absolutely tremendous things. Is it perfect? No. Will it be perfect? No. But remember that God uses those who 
sometimes are unqualified and very little qualified to accomplish his purposes. And that's not just in our convention, that is in everything throughout the world and throughout history. That God uses other means to accomplish his purposes. So it's important for us then to remember that even in the times of doubt and uncertainty, that God is truly working all things for good. We see that promise in Romans chapter 8. And he goes on in verse 3 and 4, and he says, And then all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, Joseph, now you see, is living in Nazareth, in Galilee of Nazareth, right? <clears throat> but his lineage was from Bethlehem. See, Joseph was from the line of David, right? So this all is working into prophecy that had been long foretold that a Savior, the Messiah, would come through the line of David. Joseph, being of the lineage of David, has to go to Bethlehem for the census because the census was not in the town you were living in, but the town where you come from, your lineage comes from. David, being from Bethlehem, meant that Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem to be included in the census because the census was done by household, family household, not by where you are currently living. So Joseph had to travel. But God, in his sovereign wisdom, brought this good news to all in the birth of his son Jesus in Bethlehem. Verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, <clears throat> excuse me, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, Caesar Augustus calls for the census. Joseph, being obedient to that, goes quite a distance, potentially in not very nice weather, um, carrying his very pregnant, betrothed, Mary, probably walking and on a, the back of a donkey, to be registered according to the law. But the thing is, is that even though Caesar Augustus is the one who calls for this census to happen, God had promised long before that the Messiah would be born in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. So we see the need of good news arises in Genesis 3, and then we see God promised that good news the light would come through the midst of darkness in Isaiah chapter 9. And now we see the gift of good news. That Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes humbly and quietly as a lowly baby to unlikely people in a small town. Showing that the good news isn't for the elite or powerful, but for all people. It's one of the most beautiful things about this text. And we will begin to see that as it further unfolds, that the Christ child would be born 
in Bethlehem, that he would be laid in a manger, wrapped in cloths, probably just strips of whatever they could find, because there was simply no room in the inn. Now, there have been all kind of stories told about how wicked these innkeepers were, that they would turn um, Joseph and Mary away, but the reality is is that the inns were actually over full. Um, and this could be for a couple different reasons. One, it could be because of the census, um, that people coming into town needed places to stay. Um, it also could be that it wasn't necessarily people coming to be registered, but it actually could be the government's workers that were coming to handle the registration itself. But the, the way that a lot of these inns were typically built is they were two-story places. Right? The top floor would actually be um, the places that people would come to rest. And now don't think an inn in our day. Think pretty much probably just open rooms that they would bring in their own little cot and their bedding arrangements and they would just lay wherever they could. The bottom floor would actually be for the animals. So their, um, their donkeys, their horses, their camels, whatever, would actually be there. And so the point that it was to turn away people... Um, and there was a very likely possibility that they were not the only ones turned away. I mean, that's just that's what we like to glean from the story. But it was probably already over, overly crowded. But what it actually is, even more, it's a very clear picture of our hearts. I want you to hear this quote from William Hendrickson. It says, Not that the innkeeper was cruel or inhospitable, but because the inn was already overcrowded, so also there are hearts that never welcome Jesus. And this is not because they definitely hate him, but simply because their hearts are already so overcrowded with thoughts of riches, honor, prestige, pleasure, business affairs, etc., that they have no room for Jesus. No time to reflect on His will. And no desire to go out of their way to do His pleasure. So think about that. Where are our hearts? Do you have room for Jesus? Or is your life just simply too full of other things? Too many pursuits. Too many goals that Christ has no time. See, the good news is this, that in the birth of Jesus, we realize not simply our need for redemption, not even the promise of redemption, but we realize that God has actually given the gift of possible redemption in Jesus. And that He has sovereignly orchestrated all of these things not even just in this one moment throughout history to bring about this gift of the Christ child. So not only is good news born, but good news is also announced. Look at verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. These shepherds were not elite, powerful men. We've kind of talked about this some already. 
Um, and then a while back, we did a whole series on Psalm 23 where we really unpacked what a shepherd looked like in that time period. Uh, they were outcasts. They spent all of their time with their flock. They were considered ceremonially unclean because they didn't have time to follow all of um, the Jewish laws, the 600, and 600 plus laws that were commanded for people to live by because their lives were dedicated fully to their flock. And often because of um, their status as shepherds, um, probably not the most clean people, um, they were not the most well-respected people, um, they were not highly looked upon, they were actually not even considered strong testimonies in court uh, because their lives were fully dedicated to their flock. They're not going to abandon their flock just to keep silly laws, right? And kind of in the way that most of them went about their business. And yet it's these people whom God chose to announce the birth of His Son to. And Honestly, this is just proving once again that the gospel would not be for just a handful of elite. That the gospel would be for all people of all nationalities, of all races, of all social status. And in the stillness and the quiet of that night, an angel appears to these shepherds. Kind of out of nowhere. And the light of God's glory began to shine and, and feel the air displaying His power and majesty to these men. Uh, you can imagine then the fear. If you were out in a wide open field, probably very dark, in the middle of the night, probably somewhat groggy, and then all of a sudden this angelic being shows up beside you, and everything lights up, I would imagine there would be a little fear for us as well. But listen to the angel's message. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. See, the message of the angels was good news of great joy. There was no reason to fear. They weren't getting bad news. They were getting good news. What is the good news? The good news is the gospel. That the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah, who would bring salvation to God's people, was here. For thousands of years, they had longed for this moment. And even though these individuals probably were not devout religious men, they would have known the promise. They would have known the hope that was to come. They would have at least known the stories. And here they were, these lowly outcasts of society, and they were hearing the good news. That light has come, that joy has truly dawned. And this good news brings great joy because of the realization that God had delivered on His promise of coming redemption. Again, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall to the serpent's divisive plan. They eat of the fruit. Sin enters the world and God promises a curse in verse 15. 
and in verse 21, promising that hope would come, that even though the hill would be bruised, the head of the serpent would eventually be crushed. And we see the sacrifice that God makes on behalf of the people in verse 21 of Genesis 3, where he sacrifices some form of animal in order to cover the sin and shame of those people. And then Isaiah chapter 9, where this darkness was clouding the people of Israel as they had turned their backs on God. They had turned to other things, to other means of hope and of sources for salvation. But then when they actually needed rescue, those other things failed. And so God makes a promise that light would come that a son would be born, that hope would be given. And here, these angels, here, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It's a message for all of them. Regardless of nationality, regardless of age, regardless of social status, they hear the good news. The good news that God had delivered on His promise. That God had provided exactly what He said He would. Easily over a thousand years before this moment. And this good news should be proclaimed to the ends of the earth so that all may hear Of hope in Jesus Christ. Verse 11 again. He says. For unto you is born this day. In the city of David. A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. This is the announcement. That the Christ child has come. And he would be a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. The one who would bring salvation to God's people. Now notice that there's three names given here. The first, Savior. This is only a term that's mentioned twice in the Gospels. And the interesting thing here is that it was the emperor, Caesar Augustus, who declared that the decree should happen. Most emperors, Roman emperors, would declare themselves as Savior because they were the rulers of all things that they would be the ones to care for their people, that they would be the ones to provide. But in this case, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that is Savior. And not only is He Savior, but He's Christ, which means He's Messiah. He is the one who has come to redeem God's people. And He's Lord. This is the covenant God of the Old Testament. Again, proving that Jesus is not just simply an additional person, but he's the God-man. Very God of very God. True God of true God. And it says, and you will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A humble birth. Born in a stable. Laid in a feeding trough. Manger. Quite possibly foreshadowing a humble end, a humiliating death. 
but good news is born and good news is announced. But good news is also to be praised. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. How gracious is it that God would do things this way, right? I come across this in a commentary, and I was kind of blown away because it's not really something that I had thought about. God doesn't send the multitude of angels originally. He sends one, and that casts great fear. And then he begins to calm their nerves with this message of good news that God was simply delivering on his promise foretold long ago. And as they begin to rejoice in that great news, all of a sudden, God sends a multitude, a heavenly host of angels, thousands. You know, these are military terms, this host. How amazing that God would announce peace on earth by sending an army. An army to declare glory to God in the highest, not to the emperor, not to the king. Glory to God in the highest. He is the one that would bring peace. He is the one that would bring hope. And this host of angels has been in God's presence. They have seen God at work. They knew the plans of God, at least to a degree. We know that angels long to be as the people of God. And here in this moment, they have seen now the culmination of God's plan unfolding. They know His worth. They know His purposes. And they are rejoicing at His coming. Think about that. These beings who have been in God's presence for however long. See God bringing His plans about. You know, we have very much of this same news, right? We have the Word of God telling us exactly the plans of God to a degree. We have the Word of God declaring the good news of God. Unfolding God's redemptive purposes. And we know that Christ has come. We're not longing for Christ to come. We know He has come. Are we rejoicing in the good news of Jesus? Are we, are we rejoicing over the salvation that has been given? Are we glorying in God by... Him fulfilling His promise to His people. Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So following this encounter with these angels, this host of angels, notice what the shepherds do. They immediately go. They begin their journey to find this Jesus. Now, now there's a lot of weight here. Because more than likely, they would not have taken their entire flock thousands of miles. So they were making arrangements with other shepherds to to keep their sheep, to watch their sheep, because they had stuff to do. They had a purpose to fulfill. But think about it, right? They have heard this message of good news. And they've been told to go. Go see. Go find. They could have chosen not to go. But they went. Much the same, we have heard the good news. What will we do with it? Try to put yourself in their shoes. If you see the presence of God in these angels, you hear the good news of God, you are glorying in the light of God's presence shining all around what do we do? And is this not what we have in the Scripture? Is this not what we have when God saves us? The wonder and the amazement of the good news gave them this desire to go and to proclaim it. It was probably not an easy task for them to begin their journey. And even if they would have taken their flocks or left them, it was still a laborious event. If you remember um, when we went through Psalm 23 together, we, I told you that Middle Eastern shepherding is quite different than what we have now. That um, we typically drive sheep, but in those days, they, the sheep would follow their shepherd. Um, but then during the evenings, they would have these sheep folds, these pens, where the flocks would come in and there would be someone guarding that gate. And that in the morning, the shepherds, because typically there would be multiple flocks in this sheepfold. And in the morning, the shepherds would go out and they would spread apart and they would begin to call their sheep. And the, the person guarding the sheep gate would open the door and those sheep would begin to come out and they would go directly to their individual shepherds. They knew the voice of their shepherds. They trusted the voice of their shepherds. And that's where they went. Um, uh, I guess probably a week or so ago, I saw a video that someone had posted, and it was actually kind of a proof of this, where they had all these sheep um, grazing um, on the side of this hill, and they brought people up, and they told them exactly how to call them. They tried to call them. The sheep never even like acknowledged a sound. And then the actual shepherd gets up, and he makes a call, and they begin to make their noises, and they begin to look up, and all of a sudden, they begin to run towards their shepherd. So it would not have been an easy task to just put them with another shepherd. But even if they would have taken them with them, they're carrying an entire flock a great distance to see the good news that had been given to them. But the point is, is the wonder and the amazement of everything they saw and heard 
drove them, it propelled them to go and to proclaim this good news to others. Then look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. I flipped through several different commentaries about this verse because it kind of seems odd. It's in an odd place. But what the consensus seemed to be was this, that upon their arrival, they apparently told Mary what they had heard. And the thought is, is that this treasuring and pondering in her heart is her recounting all that she knew and heard her whole life of a promised Messiah. And then the promise of Gabriel to her that she would give birth to a son. And to see it ultimately happening. And that this message from the angels would come to shepherds and that they would come to rejoice over this baby with people that they had no clue about. And she's treasuring and she's pondering them and she's rejoicing in God's faithfulness. And in verse 20, we see something else quite Amazing. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They had experienced something outrageous. In the middle of the field, keeping their flock, middle of the night, An angel appears in their presence. The glory of God shines around them. They hear this declaration of good news. And then in the moment that they hear that, a host, thousands of angels appear. And they're praising God and they're giving glory to God. And so then they make this journey to Bethlehem to see what God had done. And then it says, immediately they returned. Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. They at least had enough faith to hear the message of the angels to go. This is something big. Angels just don't show up, especially not to us. We, we're not the ones that hear the good news. But, but here we have this message that has been delivered and, and we're going to go see what this is all about. We've heard the stories, we've, we've heard the tales, and, and we're the ones hearing about it? Of course we have to go see. And then they get there and they see something quite unusual. A baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough. And their faith was proven by... The faithfulness of God. So they return home and they begin to declare the goodness of God. See, a true encounter with Jesus leads to praise. If we're not 
anxious to tell people of the good news of Jesus, then maybe we haven't truly experienced the good news of Jesus. It's easy for us to probably grow up in church, doing church things, and even adopt the church beliefs, but that doesn't make us redeemed. Only our confession that Jesus is who He says He is does that. Our good works don't buy salvation. Our, our giving doesn't give us credit in heaven. It's rejoicing and trusting in Jesus as the Savior of the world. And that kind of encounter with understanding who I am and God redeemed me. It's much like the shepherds. They knew that they were not the most popular people, and they would have understood that, hey, this is interesting, right? That, that God's message is coming to us, and here we are, broken, sinful people, and God has chosen to deliver the good news of the gospel to us. Are we rejoicing in that good news? Are we understanding that it's this that God had every right to not deliver the good news to us. And He chooses to demonstrate His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ not only comes, but He comes to die. And then we land on verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Again, this another one of those verses that almost seems out of place and it almost seems odd or insignificant. But, but think about this, okay? He was circumcised on the eighth day to fulfill both the law and prophecy that was made long ago. And then in the Gospels, we hear Jesus during his ministry saying that he comes not to what? He come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He come to bring hope. He come to bring redemption, to set the captives free. He came to do what no one else could do. See, Adam failed in obedience, and he received the curse. So Jesus comes to bear that curse in our place and to remove the sin of his people. You see the beautiful imagery there that Jesus, often declared as the second and better Adam, comes to do what the first failed to do. And he's called Jesus, the name above all other names, the name that brings hope, that brings salvation, that brings everlasting joy. Jesus comes, I'm going to read you verse 3 of Joy to the World. Jesus comes and no more let sins and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. 
The curse that was brought on because of Adam's failure is made right by the faithfulness and the goodness of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, what amazing grace. That not only would you appear to lowly and broken people to declare the good news of your coming, but that in your coming you would come to other broken and needy people. To make right what had been wronged. To bring redemption and light where darkness and hopelessness reigned. To bring joy to the world. May we rejoice greatly in the good news of great joy that has been given to us. In Jesus' most glorious name we pray. Amen.